Hello. The Bible reading today is going to, there's going to be two. Um, and if you don't have your Bible with you, there are some up the back if you uh, want to borrow, or if you don't have one, feel free to keep it. It's a gift. Uh, the first Bible reading is from Ephesians 4, verse 7 to 13. That's Ephesians 4, 7 to 13. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of God, in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And the second reading is 1 Peter, chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. That's 1 Peter, chapter 4, 7 to 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace, in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very word of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things... God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. My name's James. If we haven't met, I've got the joy of opening up God's word this morning. So please join me as I pray as we continue our series on the DNA of discipleship. Heavenly Father, we come now and we've had your word read to us. Lord, convict us, confront us and change us, we pray. For the sake of your name, for the sake of your kingdom, and Lord, transform us, we pray today. In Jesus' name, amen. How how have you served in the past? How have you served? There's a variety of ways in which you may have served. You, You may be serving as a parent. As you serve your kids, maybe you've served at a checkout as a, as a Woolies person who went the bit, bit, and you serve that way. How have you served? Maybe you've served in a soccer club. Maybe you've served at church. How have you served? I think a part of everyday life is we are in some form serving someone or something or we're even serving ourselves. Well, today we're, we're continuing our sermon series on Really, what does it mean for us to be a holistic disciple? What are the things that we need to get right? What are the things that we are as disciples of Jesus? And today we're looking at ministry, which really is another word for serving or ministering. It comes from the word diakonos, where we get the word deacon, and it really means a servant, someone who serves. We've seen over the last couple of weeks that as people who've been created in God's image, we're meant not to be centered upon us, but we're centered upon God. 
We've seen that we're meant to be proclaiming the hope on offering Jesus, that we're growing in that as a church. Last week, we saw that we're being transformed to become more like Jesus. And today, we're going to think about serving Jesus and his church. So today, what we're doing, what we're doing is thinking about serving at church for Jesus and his church. So in a way, it will. I think if we get this right... It actually overflows into your career. It overflows into your life at home. But really, we're talking about serving here as the gathered people on a Sunday and during the week. When it comes to serving at church, I've, you know, I've got many emotions. I, I, I love it. I've had moments of joy. I've been satisfied. There's been moments where I've been tired and exhausted. There's been moments where I've been frustrated and annoyed. How have you if, if you're someone who's served in church, how have you felt? Maybe you've felt the same. Or maybe there's been the roller coaster of emotions of depending on how you're feeling and what kind of mood you're in will depend on whether you say yes or whether you say no, or whether you'll stay committed to that task or you'll say no to a roster that Sunday. Maybe for you, you feel the same. There's been times of great joy. Or maybe right now you're not serving. Or maybe for you, you haven't served in a church. Well, today we're going to think about serving Jesus and his church. And we're going to be looking at three things. Three things about serving. Firstly, we're going to see when we serve. Then we're going to see how. And then we're going to see why. So firstly, when do we serve? When are we to serve? I'm going to let you in a little bit of a conversation that happens regularly at our home on a Tuesday night. Um, I'll be sitting, I'll be reading a book, getting ready. I've got my mind mapped of everything I'm going to do for the rest of the night as you've come home, whether it's read a book, watch some telly, have some food, you know, whatever it might be, have a shower. And, and this voice will come out of nowhere, Dahl, can you take the bins out? Because Tuesday morning is bin day. Now, I get the question, Dale, take the bins out, and there's this shuffle and this ruffle, and it's like, I, I know what I'm being asked. The bins go, and in my mind, I'm going, okay, yeah, I'll do it at some point. In three hours' time, don't worry. Three hours come past, and I haven't done it. Uh, in a sense, what Ali's asking me in that moment is, it isn't put it on your agenda for tomorrow. She's saying, um, take the bins out now. And I wonder, do we feel that with serving at church sometimes where we go, I'll serve tomorrow, but just not now. Like, it, it's hard, isn't it? Once, once, once my kids get out of nappies, then, then I'll have more time. To, then, I'll, then I'll put my hand up. But then, but then once they get out of nappies, it's like, well, once they get to, to school, once they get to high school... Once they get the HSC done, then we'll serve. And oh, then once we've done that, then we'll go to the, they'll leave uni. Then, then I'll have time to serve. Maybe it's, I'll, I'll serve once my work hours and my workload reduce, and then, then I'll be able to serve. Or once soccer or the footy season's finished, then, then I might be able to serve. In a sense, there's, there's often so much pressure to conform. We live in a world that, that wants us to conform to the ways of the world. And as you live in Western Sydney, there's so much going on around us that actually what Peter wants us to do is he wants us to think clearly about the time that we live in. He doesn't want us to lose sight and think incorrectly about life. And that's what I reckon he does here in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. When are we to serve? Today. We are to serve today 
not waiting for tomorrow. Have a look there at verse 7. The end of all things is near. Now, what he's saying there is, is it's, we're in the last days. What Peter's saying is we're in the day of salvation between Christ's ascension into heaven through his life, death and resurrection. He's been raised from the grave. He's gone to heaven. He's seated at the right hand of God. And we're in the last days until Christ returns, right? We're in that day. Verse 6, if you go back a verse, it tells us that there's a real reality of heaven and hell. We're in the day of salvation where people can come and find salvation in Jesus. And so the end of all things is near. And Peter says, therefore, think clearly. Be sober-minded. Really what Peter's saying is, is, is going, you need to think correctly about the time you live in so that as you think correctly, you will act accordingly. It's hard, isn't it? As Christians over the last couple of years, we can sort of get in a frenzy about how the world is and we start to, to think about woe is the world and so we start to allow that to shape our thinking which then acts us to act accordingly. And have it noticed how he wants us to think clearly. As we think clearly that it's a day of salvation, how do we act? Verse 8, above all, love each other deeply. Verse 9, offer hospitality, offer the str- bring the stranger in. Don't grumble. But look at what he says in verse 10. As you consider the day we live in, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. As we gather, it's, he's saying, if you want to know how to live in this world right now, just serve. Don't worry what everyone else is worrying about and panicking about and, and in a fuzz about. Don't get into your charts and try and work out all this. Those, and, 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 you know, those things, yes, they're, they're things that can worry us. But, but he's saying, you know, as, as, as a church community who's in the first century, he's speaking to a church that's the minority, that the culture wants nothing to do with them, who's on the outside. He's saying, in the midst of that hostility, you know, just serve. Show love and serve one another. Use the gifts that God has given you. Like, we're in the 21st century, you know, and maybe we are starting to become more the minority, but really, we live in a self-centered community where as you scroll Facebook, as you watch the ashes, or as you watch the tennis, or whatever you may do, our brains are just so much filled with marketing for you to say, you're the number one, you're the one who should be served, you should buy this product, where you serve yourself. But serving yourself serves no one else except serves you. I was, I was in Bunnings on Friday and um, I was trying to find a product and I'm in, and, and it was packed. People must have been doing Renos, like, and it's like, I just wanted someone to serve me, to find the product. Like, can't I just get someone to serve me? I'm at the centre, I'm at Bunnings, I'm here to pay money, buy a door. Eventually I got help. Then you get to the counter and the counter's like, it's a 10 metre long line and you think, can't you just put someone else on the service counter so this makes it quicker? And so I went to the self-serve checkout, which is ironic, isn't it? Because we want to serve ourselves so often. To make it, and so I went to the service checkout because I wanted to be quicker so that I could serve my functions for the day and have it over and done with. And thankfully, the self-serve checkout this time was open, whereas usually it's not at Bunnings when I want it open. But what Peter wants us to do is actually, no, 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 as, as people who've been saved by grace, we've actually got to think differently about the world 
As wars come, as pandemics stop the world, as climate change rises or falls, or as world powers change, whether it's China or America, whether something's happening in Russia, we're not to panic. We're not to be consumed. We're not to go and worry about, let's go and store up all our gold. You may want to do that, but, but we're not to worry about those. Don't panic. Don't fret. Don't get bogged down in the stuff. Don't just think clearly. Get on with the mundane work of making and growing disciples of Jesus by serving Jesus and his church. When are we to serve? We are to serve today, not waiting for tomorrow. So here's a question. How clearly minded are you today? Are you putting off serving till tomorrow? Because tomorrow will never come. Or how are you serving today? As, as I've navigated this subject this week, as you go through the New Testament, I've come to believe that there's an expectation that all believers exercise serving in the local church. When are we to serve? Today, don't, don't wait for tomorrow. Martin Luther, Martin Luther, the, the great theologian in the 17th century, someone asked him, what would you do, Martin, if you knew today that Jesus was going to come? What would you do if you knew that the world was going to end today? And you know Martin Luther's response? He said, he would plant a tree and pay his taxes. See, really what Luther's just saying, he says, I'm just going to get on with what I'm meant to do. I'm just going to get on with following Jesus and do what I'm asked to do. He's going to think correctly, which allows him to act accordingly. Okay, so how are we to serve then? How are we to serve? We are to serve as we are, not who we want to be. I wonder, do you feel overwhelmed right now as you think, well, hang on, there's a sense in which as we think correctly, we're meant to serve right now. And you might be thinking, but I'm, I'm not equipped, I'm not ready, I'm not ready to go. I feel under-resourced. But actually, the beauty and the wonder of the gospel and the good news is that you actually are ready to serve today because you're a disciple of Jesus who has a spirit within you. Check out verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms so what did you notice that each of you he's talking to everyone he's he's saying each of you have something to offer in service to be a good steward is to use the gift that the gift giver has given you to given to you to use in the way that the gift giver intended you to use that gift because God is the owner of those gifts See, gift, the idea of gift in the Bible, it's, it's an unmerited gift. You don't deserve it. You don't earn it. It's not something you gain because you've been this super cool, great kind of guy or woman. But go back to verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift. Now, the gift there, in the Greek, it's, it's, you, you pronounce the word charisma. Now, does that ring true for some of you? You heard the word charisma? Charismatic. So the word gift is charisma, which means it's a non-material thing. In a way, it's been given to you by God through his incredible generosity in the, as a disciple of Jesus. It's a gift given by grace. Now, in this passage in 1 Peter, he speaks about gifts where you speak, right? 
public speaking and teaching. Then there's ones where you serve. It's obviously a bit more about doing. We can go to 1 Corinthians and we have a whole range of gifts. Like they had tongues, they had wisdom, they had discernment. Like there's a whole variety. You can go to Ephesians 4 and we have evangelists, we have pastors. Now I reckon as we come to the New Testament, that's not an exhaustive list. You know what some people do? They go and write them all down and say, hey, which one do you fit in with? Now I think what Paul and Peter did, they're just giving us an idea. Hey, these are gifts that have been given by the grace of God. You have what you need now to serve no matter what your age or stage of life is as a follower of Jesus. Go, to back, go, go to Ephesians chapter 4 for a moment. Go, go back to Ephesians 4. So what we see is that the gifts, there are always a variety of stuff. One doesn't trump the other. In, 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 in Corinthians, you know, the church was wrestling with, they were saying, hey, to be a Christian, you must be like this. And he's going, no, no, it's, they're all given by God and they're diverse. But if you go to Ephesians chapter 4, in the context, Ephesians 4, we've been... We've been adopted, we've been forgiven, we've been redeemed. We were once sons of disobedience and daughters of disobedience, but now we're, we're sons of God. For grace you have been saved through faith. We get to chapter 3, we go Jew and Gentile have been brought together. Chapter 3, we hear about the great assembly, which we do on a Sunday where Jew and Gentile, we come together as God's people and he's displaying to the heavenly realms that Christ has had victory over Satan, over sin and death and he's displaying the glory of God when we meet on a Sunday. And we get to chapter 4, and so well, here's how you live a life worthy. We get to chapter 4, verse 7, and Paul in, in verse 8 is going to use an Im image. He's going to uh, use an image of a king. So as a king would go out and have, fight a big battle, and if the king won the battle, the king or the queen would return, and the captives of that victory would be in their trail. And so as the king would walk up the mountain to the city, there are the captives from the place that they've captivated, you know, had victory over. But at the same time, this king would take spoils of war like gold and jewelry and cattle and sheep. And as the king would come back after its victory, guess what he would do with the spoils? Here's a bit of gold for you. Here's a sheep. Like they would spread it out. And what I want you to notice in Ephesians chapter 4 is, who do they give the gifts to and why are they given? Verse 7, but to each one of us, every Christian has been given as Christ apportioned it. You know, it's, it's the work of Jesus gives them out and they're widely, it's for the wits of the church and it's by grace. not human effort or merit. What an like the diversity of us here today, it's just incredible to think about Jesus and his church. How incredible the character of God is. How incredible he is in his grace to just be so, so gracious, to lavish this upon people who don't deserve anything. In fact, we're the ones who rejected him and yet he's lavished upon us gifts. That we look around and we're not all the same. We're a motley crew of people. 
And the variety of the gifts reminds us of the generosity of the king. And therefore, it actually frees every single one of us as followers of Jesus. We are free to be as God has made us in the sense of our gifts. You don't actually ever have to be jealous. You don't have to be jealous of me out the front. I don't have to be jealous of those making the coffee. I don't have to be envious that someone else can, you know, cook way better than me and, you know, bring great food to church. I'm free now not to worry that I can't do that. So you, you don't have to be envious that you're not up front. I don't have to be envious if I can't count the money, but some of you can count money or make coffee, or use a computer. It's an incredible thing to think that we are so diverse that we don't have to worry about the person next to us being gifted differently, who serves differently to you. There isn't just one pinnacle of going, hey, I want to be that person at the front, or I want to be on that instrument, or whatever it might be. It's, it's just so freeing that we can go home and just not worry about that. For years, I am, um, well, I've always wanted to sing, Right, I've always wanted to be like a Johnny Cash or a John Farnham or, you know, whatever. You know, I just, I, I, I really wanted to be other. I really would have loved to be a person who could play live music and sing at the same time. I can play guitar, but I can't sing. And so I've prayed, hey, God, can you give me singing? And I haven't got it. Now, for a while, that frustrated me. But now, I can sing as loud as I want in the front but I can be okay with never singing with a guitar live. I don't have to be envious. I don't have to be jealous of that. So in a sense, what I think what we see in, in Corinthians and Ephesians, and there's a sense in which there are some gifts which are like, you know, really you never could do before. But at the same time, what happens is some of your natural giftings and your genetics are now inflamed. So what I mean by this is, is that for many of us as Christians, we're born a certain way, we live in a certain place, we have certain genetics, and so therefore we're naturally gifted with certain things. Some of you are good with your hands, some are good with your brain, some are good with other things, right? And so for me, I could play the piano before I became a Christian. But once I became a Christian and the Holy Spirit was in me, it inflamed within me this desire to play it for Jesus and his church. I have an eye for detail. I like, I like lawns being mowed right with a straight edge. And I go out to mow it and Al says, no, the lawn doesn't need mowing. You only mowed it last. No, no, there's, there's grass that's out of line. So it's, it's a genetic, like, but yet that's a beautiful thing to bring that kind of detail. And the spirit, it inflames that in you. Do you see what I mean? Some of you are just built certain ways. If you're a builder or a plumber or a banker, you've got this natural gift of the Holy Spirit now just pushes, you just want to do it. But then at the same time, there's other things like for me, preaching. Well, if you asked me at high school or when I was 23, there was no hope. That was not natural. It was something I didn't want to do. And I reckon that's it's one of those things that go, no, no, God's, that's really something new for me to do. So then the question is, well, then how do you work out how you are to serve, right? How, do you, how are you meant to serve? I, I really love what Agnes said. That interview just smashed up. You know, it's great. Let's have a conversation. Like, see... You know, you can go online, you can Google, and we get a course about finding your spiritual gifts. You can probably go and do this. Can I tell you, those things are probably, they're more like a choose-your-own-self-help adventure. Because what you'll do is you'll probably tick what you want to be. Actually, I think the other way it is, is, is actually, do you know how you find out how you serve? 
how you're gifted? It's a person sitting next to you in church. You know, like the best way to find out how you should serve is the Christians around you. This is, they know you. Hey, I, I've noticed that you're really good at encouraging people. Have you thought about just growing that? I, I've noticed that you mourn and empathize with people going through tragic circumstances. I reckon you should join our care team. Like you're in a Bible study and you're, you're a life group leader and you notice that one member of the life group is like, you've got leadership skills. I reckon you could run a life group and you say, hey, have you thought about getting training? I think you could lead. It's actually even how you see in the Bible for elders and deacons. It's, not, it's, it's visible. You see, you see those things. There's a desire, but you see. How do you know? It's the people around you will tell you. They'll help you. Or ask. If you think you can sing, ask, and then they'll, they'll tell you if you can or can't. There's nothing wrong with that. See, it wasn't until I preached once that someone afterwards said, hey, have you thought about going to Bible college? And I thought, huh? Well, I, like, that helped. Because we serve Jesus and his church because the gifts belong to God. You might be, you know, and the Spirit works in us, it convicts us. And, and if you've got a conviction, you're going, hey, I think I'm this, go and ask someone to say, hey, I'm really feeling that I could be doing this. Ask someone. We're the body of Christ. We have builders, we have plumbers, we have people who love numbers and administration, some who can have speaking roles up front, some who lead, some who sit behind the scenes, some who make coffees, order cups, people who post on social media. Some turn up here every Sunday really early just so they turn the lights on, the heaters, and turn the sound on so that you can actually hear what I'm saying. Others welcome. Others do hospitality. It's How do we serve? There is just so many ways in which we can serve, and we serve with deep love, with deep joy, we serve with determination. We flame and grow the gift. Prepare well, practice well. Go and get help and go, hey, like, you know, I don't just turn up every Sunday and think I'm going to, like, get feedback, grow, prepare. But we serve with humility as well. We never boast. We can never boast in our gifting because it belongs to God and given by God and not by merit. There is never a job at Toon Gabby Baptist Church that is ever below your pay grade. There's never a job here that is below your pay grade. We serve with humility. But at the same time, did you notice we serve in the power of God, by His strength. We serve in the power of God and His Holy Spirit. So how do we serve? We serve as we are, not as we want to be. And finally... I think one of the reasons we put off serving or we stop serving or we serve for other reasons is because it's purely motivation. So that brings us to point three. Why do we serve? Well, we serve because we are motivated by Jesus and his church. We serve motivated by Jesus and his church. We're captified, we're captured by the glorious Jesus. So often we're motivated to serve. Sometimes we're just motivated for, for some really wrong reasons. Sometimes we serve diligently because they're shame and guilt. That we're just so, our lives filled with guilt, and so we just feel that if I just serve, I can pay people back. Sometimes we serve out of being a suck up or, or to win brownie points. You serve in a way that, that you're hoping that someone will take notice of you, and so then you can have a bit more power to do something. They just say, Hey, I like you. You can serve out of pride, where you do things so that 
people will notice and say, oh, thank you so much for the effort you've put in. And when someone asks you what you've been doing, you're pretty quick to tell them, I've served all these hours this week. Sometimes we serve purely because of a charismatic leader. But you go, I, I just like that person. I'm just going to serve. And then when they step down, life goes ajar. Or sometimes your favorite pastor moves on. And so you step down from serving because I can't do this any longer. They're motivations that are coming from serving yourself. Serving yourself serves no one else except serves you. And so therefore, I reckon this is the beauty and the wonder of the good news of Jesus. Because see, sometimes we are serving to construct for ourselves our own identity, our own purpose, and our own, and our own meaning in life. But this is where the gospel is so free because it says, no, you already have those things in Jesus. See, whether it's, whether it's Hinduism, whether it's Muslim, whether you're agnostic, even if you're an atheist... You serve to gain something. Whether you're a Hindu or whether you're Muslim, you are serving to gain the love of the gods. You're serving to gain merit or to gain um, you know, the life in the next. Whereas Christianity is actually the most freeing thing because actually, no, no, we serve because we've already got everything in Christ. We have our meaning, we have our purpose. The gospel flips it. That's what I think Ephesians 4 is doing. Look at verse 8. Remember the picture, the risen Christ Jesus, he's exalted. When he ascended on high, he took many captives and he gave gifts. He gave gifts to the people. When Christ, through his life, death and resurrection, what was the captive? Sin and death. We are no longer in bondage to sin. We're no longer in bondage to death. We're no longer in bondage to Satan. We've been freed. That's the beautiful news of the gospel. A king who knows best. And when we gather on a Sunday... We're declaring that to the world. And by his grace, we serve him as king, motivated by him, not law. And therefore, we're motivated to serve his bride in whom he purchased by his blood. So we're actually, did you, did you notice that? We're here to serve his church as well. Because see, no matter, no matter whether you have a severe disability or whether you're someone who can run around like an energizer bunny 24-7 a day, whether you can't mow the lawns anymore, whether you've got to reduce your hours of serving, or, or whether you've got a, a severely disabled child in which you have to stay and care for at home, we can be totally okay with that because our meaning and our purpose and our identity is not from serving, it comes from Jesus. See, a question that will help you understand whether you're serving for the wrong reasons is, is if you're serving at church right now and that was to be stripped from you, or for some reason you could no longer serve, how would you react? Would you react if it was stripped from you? Would you go around and cause a scene? Would you have a dummy spit? Would you get angry? If that's how you would respond, that's probably a pretty good example of telling that you're motivated not by the gospel, but by something else. And so we rest in the gospel. We remind ourselves of it. The famous theologian, or the old theologian who wrote many books, Thomas Aquinas, it said that he heard the voice of Jesus saying, you have written well for me, Thomas. What reward will you receive from me? Jesus, is, you know. And he said, Lord, nothing except you. See, it's that motivation that we serve his bride. In verses 12 to 14, did you notice what serving does? It's so that the body of Christ, verse 12, may be built up until, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. It's, 
The church needs you and you need the church. When we serve, the church grows. We have the beauty of growing and seeing people become more like Christ. We have the beauty of seeing people go from darkness to light, from death to life. Unrighteous to righteous. And we get to journey with people as we serve and see them become more and more like Jesus Christ. And so whether we serve, however we serve, it's all contributing to the mission of making disciples of Jesus. Whether it's lawns, whether it's cleaning, whether it's coffee, whether it's preaching, whether it's music, they're all contributing towards the growth of individuals, the church in which Christ laid his life down for and to bring people in. See, when we serve something, it it, it helps grow. Now, as a kid, I think there's a photo there. As a kid, I used to love above ground pools, these round pools. And, and you know, as kids, well, what you'd do in an above-ground pool is, is if you've got five or six people in the pool, you'd start running around the outside all in one direction to get a whirlpool happening. Now, you know you've done it if you've done it. It's so good. But the problem with it is that if only one person comes out, it's hard. When you're starting a whirlpool, it's hard to start with. And if everyone else stands in the middle, it's going to go nowhere. But as each person from the middle starts to come into the outside and starts to run around that whirlpool, guess what happens as everyone comes out and, and runs? You get incredible movement. Synergism, I think it's called. And you barely have to move and it just goes, and I think that's a picture of the church. It could quite possibly be that when you hold back from serving, you're actually holding back the growth of a brother or sister in Christ and the spread of the kingdom. But as we all serve in our part, it just gets this, it's just an amazing thing that we delight in Jesus, living the ordinary mundane life as disciples of Jesus who know the time. So we serve, we use our gifts, but we're motivated by Christ. If you're not serving today, take that step, your Christ's gift to the bride. If you are serving, keep pressing on in God's strength. See, our vision to see thousands of lives transformed by Jesus, it may appear big, but actually I think if we all serve, maybe it may appear to have been too small. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for the way that you've graciously given to us our genetics. You knitted us together in, your, in our mum's womb. You've, given, you've, you've inflamed those gifts. You've given us other gifts for the sake of your church. So, Father, we ask that we will serve diligently. And, Lord, may this servant heart flow out into our families, into our communities for the sake of your kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.